Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you, J.M. I am indeed D.C. Lundberg, and this is indeed Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, brought to you by Built Bar. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program using whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or any program here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners and follow me on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg, L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G, if you're scoring at home. Back to baseball history today, gang. Today we're going to recall the 1976 World Series. This was the second straight fall classic to feature the Cincinnati Reds, who were defending their championship. Their big red machine dominated the National League in 1976, and for much of the first half of the decade, from 1970 through 76, they had won 95 or more games every year, except 1971, where they actually finished below 500. In 76, they won 102 ball games on the strength of a great offense, which led the National League in every single important offensive category. They hit 280 as a team, slugged 357, scored 857 runs, hit 141 home runs, which seems unspectacular, but that did lead the National League. Their 271 doubles also led the league, and they stole 210 bases. Their lineup featured three future Hall of Famers, Johnny Bench, Tony Perez, and Joe Morgan. They also had Pete Rose, who would be in the Hall of Fame if it weren't for his banishment from baseball in 1989. All eight of their starting position players were far above average at their respective positions. Their pitching staff was less spectacular, but did accumulate the fifth best earned run average in the NL at 3-5-1. Gary Nolan led the team with 15 wins, while Pat Zachary turned in a 2-7-4 ERA to lead the starting rotation. If the team had a weak point, it was their bullpen, but it wasn't nearly as bad as the Mariners' relief pitching was, was in the 1990s. Raleigh Eastwick was the team's closer, saving 26 games and posting a 2.09 earned run average. Pedro Borbon also contributed in short relief, as did 20-year-old rookie Manny Sarmiento, who came up at the end of July and appeared in 22 games. Facing the big red machine in the 76 Fall Classic were the New York Yankees, who had spent much of the mid to late 60s and early 70s mired in mediocrity. They won 97 ball games this year, propelled by the best pitching staff in the American League. Ed Figueroa won 19 ball games, Catfish Hunter and Doc Ellis both won 17, and Sparky Lyle saved 23. Their 3-1-9 earned run average was tops in the junior circuit. Offensively, they were solid. Their 269 batting average was second in the American League, and they were also second in on-base percentage, slugging, home runs, and runs scored. Leadoff hitter Mickey Rivers led the team with a 3-12 average, though his 13 walks were remarkably low for a leadoff man. The team home run leader was smooth-fielding third baseman Greg Nettles, who jacked 32 long balls. In fact, he was the only player on the team to hit more than 20. Catcher Thurman Munson, a fan favorite and the Yankees field general, was the team's RBI leader, driving in 105 runs. Tommy Lasorda once called him probably the best clutch hitter in baseball. 
The Yankees had gone through a very tough American League Championship Series against the Kansas City Royals, which went down to the wire. Chris Chambliss ended the series with a home run leading off the bottom of the ninth inning of the fifth and decisive game. Meanwhile, the Reds swept aside the Philadelphia Phillies three games to zilch in the NLCS. They'd also win in the bottom of the ninth of the final game of that series with Ken Griffey driving in the winning run. The stage was set for the 1976 Fall Classic, which began in Riverfront Park in Cincinnati on October 16th. This was the first World Series game to use the designated hitter. Originally, the rule was that the DH would either be in place for an entire series or not be used at all, and the DH would be in effect in alternate series. So the DH was in play for this World Series, but not the next one, would reappear in 1978, and so forth. This alternating year system ended after 1985, and the 1986 series was the first to use the rule as we know it today. DH in American League Parks... No DH in National League parks. Back to 1976. The two history-making designated hitters in Game 1 were Dan Dreesen for Cincinnati, and for New York, it was none other than Lou Pinella. Don Gullett was the starting pitcher for the Reds, and he set the Yankees down in short order in the first. Doyle Alexander drew the starting assignment for New York. Eleven years later, the Atlanta Braves would trade Alexander to the Detroit Tigers, who were in need of a veteran starting pitcher for their pennant race that year. In return, the Tigers sent a minor league pitcher to the Braves. That pitcher turned out to be a future Hall of Famer, John Smoltz. After retiring the first two hitters in the bottom of the first, Alexander would give up a solo home run to Reds second baseman Joe Morgan for the first run of the ball game. Tony Perez singled, and that brought up Dreesen, the first designated hitter in World Series history to step to the plate. However, Perez was caught stealing second base to end the inning, erasing Dreesen's plate appearance. Leading off the top of the second was the Yankees' designated hitter, Lou Pinella. He'd smoke a double to the opposite field, recording the first base hit by a DH in World Series history. After advancing to third on a Chris Chambliss ground out, he'd score on a Greg Nettles sack fly, tying the ball game at one all. With one out in the bottom of the third, Dave Concepcion tripled to the left center field gap. In the succeeding at bat, Pete Rose would plate him on a sacrifice fly to give Cincinnati a 2-1 advantage. They'd extend that lead to 3-1 in the sixth. With Doyle Alexander still on the mound, uh, Rose led off with a walk. Ken Griffey then hit into a force out to erase him, and Joe Morgan struck out. However, Griffey stole second base on the pitch that struck Morgan out. Without having seen that play, I'm guessing it may have been a failed hit and run. In any case, with Griffey on second, Tony Perez knocked him in with an RBI single, giving the Reds a two-run lead at 3-1. Bottom seven, George Foster leads off with a single. Johnny Bench then triples to score him, and Doyle Alexander was pulled. Sparky Lyle came in to try to stop the bleeding against Cesar Geronimo. His second pitch was wild, allowing Bench to score, putting his team farther behind, now at 5-1. to one. Geronimo doubled, so the wild pitch proved academic. Lyle then retired the next three batters to prevent any more damage, but the Yanks were down 5-1 to one after seven innings, 
And that is how it would end. Reds take game one. Don Gullett pitches seven and a third effective innings, and Pedro Borbone finished things up in the final one and two-thirds. The Reds would jump out to an early lead in game two against former Oakland Athletics star Catfish Hunter. Dan Dreesen led off the bottom of the second by taking the first pitch he saw to deep center field, but within the yard, and he'd wind up at second base with a double. The next batter was George Foster, who would plate him with an RBI single. Foster would try to steal second base, but he would be caught by catcher Thurman Munson. Johnny Bench doubled, and Cesar Geronimo walked, bringing up Dave Concepcion. He smacked a single to right center field to score Bench, sending Geronimo to third. Concepcion would also attempt a steal of second, but he would be successful. Pete Rose then walked to load the bases for Ken Griffey. He hit a fly ball to medium short center field, which was caught for an out, but Geronimo tagged up and scored, giving Griffey an RBI and sacrifice fly. 3 nothing Reds now with two on and two out for future Hall of Famer Joe Morgan. Morgan would hit a foul pop-up to the catcher to end the inning, but the Reds do score three early runs against one of the better pitchers in the league. The Reds would also load the bases on two singles and a walk in the third, but they'd fail to score. The next frame was led off by Yankee catcher Thurman Munson, who would reach base on a ground ball single down the third base line. Lou Pinella flew out, and Chris Chambliss hit a single of his own to bring up Greg Nettles. He would also single, scoring Munson and moving Nettles all the way to third. That would be all Reds starter Fred Norman would allow that inning, though, and he and Catfish Hunter would both settle down and put up zeros the next few innings. Willie Randolph opened up the top of the seventh with a single. Fred Stanley was the next man up, and he'd lace a double down the left field line to score Randolph and bring the Yankees back to within one run. Following a Mickey Rivers flyout, Roy White would hit a single, sending Stanley to third and forcing Fred Norman from the ballgame. Jack Billingham came in from the Reds' bullpen to relieve him. Thurman Munson grounded the first pitch he saw from Billingham to the second baseman Morgan, who tossed to shortstop Concepcion for the force play, but Stanley came in to score to tie the ballgame. Lou Pinella then grounded out on the first pitch he saw. Two pitches from Billingham, both ground outs, but the tying run did score. Catfish Hunter was still pitching for New York at this point, and neither team would score going into the ninth inning with the score still tied all at three. Jack Billingham would retire the Yankees in short order in the top of the inning, and Hunter went back to work in the bottom of the frame to try to force extra innings. He'd get the first two men, both on flyouts to left field. He then quickly got ahead in the count against Ken Griffey. Griffey would hit a chopper to shortstop Fred Stanley. Stanley got to the ball, double-clutched, then threw the ball wide up the line, getting by first baseman Chris Chambliss. Griffey reached second on Stanley's error. With Griffey's speed, it would have been a close play had the throw been on the mark, but it should have ended the ninth inning, sending the game to extra innings. Instead, Joe Morgan came up with Griffey on second base and two outs. Catfish Hunter intentionally walked the MVP second baseman to get to another future Hall of Famer, Tony Perez. The first pitch was out over the plate, which Perez smacked to left field for a single. Griffey motored around the bases, easily beating the throw home, scoring 
an unearned run to win the ball game 2-1. to one. Catfish Hunter did toss a complete game, and aside from a couple of rocky innings, he did very well. That ninth inning, I would not consider a rocky inning. His defense let him down big time, putting the winning run aboard, then one bad pitch to Tony Perez cost him. Cincinnati was up two games to zero going to Yankee Stadium for Game 3, which we will recap shortly. First, this from betonline.ag. Are you ready for some football? College football heads into bowl season, and there are some big matchups this weekend. The NFL regular season is finishing up with the playoff picture becoming clear. There is one place that has you covered and one place we trust, and that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner at betonline underscore AG on social media to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and use promo code locked on for your sign up bonus. Hashtag betonline. If you've got a question or a comment, please do send it to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com. I'll reply to it on the air in an upcoming mailbag episode. Questions and comments on any subject are welcome and encouraged. LockedOnMariners at gmail.com is that address once again. Remember that this is a family show, so please keep those questions and comments family appropriate. Locked on Mariners will return after this word from Built Bar. Ladies and gentlemen, what springs to mind when I say delicious protein bar covered in 100% real chocolate that's low in calories, sugar, and carbohydrates? If you said peanut butter, you weren't paying very much attention. For I was talking about Built Bar, the great protein bars that taste as close to a candy bar as a protein bar can get. Yes, they're low in sugar, calories, and carbohydrates. Yes, they are high in protein, and yes, they taste terrific. They come in 18 great flavors. My personal favorites are the peanut butter brownie, mint brownie, uh, German chocolate cake is great. The chocolate coconut uh, is also very good. All the flavors are great, including the limited edition flavors that they have from time to time. All of them can be found at BuiltBar.com, and you can even compile a box of bars of the flavors you'd most like to try. In addition, don't forget about Built Boost drink powder, which, when mixed with plain iced tea, renders a great flavored iced tea, and also built go energy shots again builtbar.com and if you use promo code locked on you get 20 percent off of your next order builtbar.com promo code locked on for 20 percent off of your order built bar eat fresh Welcome to the second half of Locked On Mariners. Here once again is your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you ever so much, Joey Martin. We will continue talking about the 1976 World Series in just a second. But first, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the holidays are about giving. So I'm giving you a hot tip that could earn you some extra cash. The new Locked on Bets podcast is hosted by Lee Sterling of ParamountSports.com. Lee is red hot to start the season... 
even though it doesn't start until April, but he's red hot to start the season nonetheless. And he shares a lock of the day on every episode. Subscribe to Locked on Bets today wherever you get your podcasts. Back to the 1976 World Series. When we left off, Cincinnati had a two games to none lead over the New York Yankees. Moving to Yankee Stadium for Game 3, Doc Ellis would tow the rubber for the Bronx Bombers, while Pat Zachary would draw the starting assignment for the Big Red Machine. Neither a pitcher allowed a run in their respective halves of the first inning, but Ellis struggled through a rough top of the second. Dan Dreesen singled up the middle to lead off, then stole second base. He'd immediately score on a George Foster ground rule double. Johnny Bench singled, sending Foster to third, then Foster would score on a Cesar Geronimo ground out. Bench was forced out at second. Geronimo's now on first. But he would not remain there long as he stole second base, the Reds' second stolen base of the inning. Dave Concepcion singled to drive him in and bring the score to 3 nothing. Pete Rose would ground into a 6-4-3 double play to end the inning, but the Reds had an early lead. And Pat Zachary did his job in the bottom half of the frame, allowing a one-out walk, but nothing more. Doc Ellis turned in a 1-2-3 inning in the top of the third, while Zachary kept the Yanks off the scoreboard in the bottom half. Leading off the top of the fourth was Dan Dreesen. He drove a 1-0 pitch over the right center field wall for a solo home run, extending the Reds' lead to 4-0. Following a George Foster ground out, Johnny Bench singled, and Ellis was done. He was replaced by Grant Jackson, who promptly picked Bench off first base, then retired Cesar Geronimo on a flyout. New York got one back in the bottom of the fourth off Zachary. Chris Chambliss led off with the single. A strikeout and a walk later, he'd be driven home on a single from the generously quaffed Oscar Gamble. That would be the end of the scoring until the bottom of the seventh inning. After Willie Randolph struck out to open the frame with Pat Zachary still on the mound, Jim Mason smacked a home run to shorten the Reds' lead to 4-2. to This was Mason's first at-bat of the game. Starting shortstop Fred Stanley had been pinch hit for by Elrod Hendricks, and Mason went in to play short. Uh, Hendricks was not an infielder. This wound up being Jim Mason's only ever postseason at bat. What a way to capitalize on it. Anyways, a walk, a force out, and a single later, Pat Zachary was removed in favor of Will McEnany, who induced Chris Chambliss to ground out to end the inning. Grant Jackson went back to work in the top of the eighth, but struggled. Pete Rose led off with a single. Ken Griffey would then single, sending Rose to third. Joe Morgan laced a double down the right field line to score Rose and send Griffey to third. Jackson was given the hook, and in from the bullpen came Dick Tidrow. The first batter he'd face was Tony Perez, who grounded out to shortstop Jim Mason, who was playing shallow. Griffey was coming home from third on a contact play. Mason threw home, catching Griffey in a rundown. Griffey would be tagged out on what was scored a fielder's choice. The play went 6-2-5-2. Morgan wound up at third while Perez took second. Dan Dreesen was then intentionally walked to load the bases for the dangerous George Foster, the National League's RBI king. He lined a single to left field, scoring Morgan. Bases remained loaded for Johnny Bench, but he grounded into an inning-ending double play. However, the Reds got two more runs to go up 6-2. to two. Will McEnany would keep the Bronx Bombers off the scoreboard the rest of the way, despite allowing two singles in the ninth inning, and Game 3 went to Cincinnati. Final score, 6-2. to two. 
With a four-game sweep on their minds, Cincinnati sent Gary Nolan to the hill to start Game 4. Ed Figueroa opposed him. Pete Rose would lead off against him with a ground rule double, but he'd be erased on a double play off the bat of Ken Griffey. Joe Morgan grounded out, so Figueroa does record a 1-2-3 first inning. Gary Nolan retired the first two hitters in his half of the first, but then allowed a single to Thurman Munson. Chris Chambliss would follow and drive in Munson with a double. The Yankees were out to a quick 1-0 lead, which would hold until the fourth, even though both pitchers had shaky third innings. Joe Morgan walked to lead off the top of the fourth, then stole second base one batter later. With two outs, George Foster drove in Morgan on a single to tie the ball game. Next batter was Johnny Bench, who sent a 1-1 pitch sailing out to left field for a two-run home run and a 3-1 Reds lead. In the bottom of the fourth, Greg Nettles led off with a single. Oscar Gambled followed, and he reached on an error by five-time Gold Glove Award winner Dave Concepcion. Next batter was Willie Randolph. After taking a ball and a strike, manager Billy Martin put on the sacrifice play. However, Randolph, ordinarily an excellent bunter, missed. Nettles had started for third, but retreated when Randolph missed the bunt. Catcher Thurman Munson threw on to second base to get Nettles. Nettles broke back for third base and then was thrown out. The play went 2-6-5 and was scored a pickoff. Randolph wound up striking out looking after blowing the sacrifice. Then Fred Stanley lined out to end what could have been a good inning for the Yankees. Usually when a promising inning goes for naught, your pitcher kind of suffers through a rough inning of his own. But that was not the case here, as Ed Figueroa sent the big red machine down in short order in the top of the fifth. Bottom of the fifth, Mickey Rivers leads off with a single. Following a Roy White flyout, Rivers steals second base. Thurman Munson drives him in on a single, cutting the Reds' lead down to a single run. 3-2 was a score at this point. Gary Nolan retired the next two men to limit the damage to that lone run. Both pitchers would trade zeros in the sixth, and Figueroa would a lead, allow a leadoff single in the seventh, but nothing more. Gary Nolan got the first two men he'd face in his half of the seventh to fly out, but then he'd allow a single to Thurman Munson. The game was still close, and Sparky Anderson did not want to take any chances, so he removed Nolan from the ball game and brought in Will McEnany to shut things down. And he would do just that, getting Chris Chambliss to ground out to end the seventh with the Reds still up 3-2. to two. Figueroa breezed through another 1-2-3 inning in the top of the eighth, and while McEnany issued a one-out walk in the bottom half of the inning, he did keep New York off the scoreboard once again. Figueroa went back to work in the top of the ninth. He walked Tony Perez to lead off. A wild pitch sent him to second, but it proved ancillary, as Dan Dreesen also walked. Billy Martin had seen enough and went out to the mound with the hook. In from the pen came Dick Tidrow. The first man he faced was George Foster, who flew out. Perez did take third on this play. Next batter was Johnny Bench, who would put the icing on the cake for the Reds. His three-run home run brought the score to 5-2, to two, and the four-game sweep seemed in the bag at this point.
Two consecutive ground rule doubles would follow, the first by Cesar Geronimo and the next by Dave Concepcion, which scored Geronimo, and Cincinnati now had a 6-2 lead. Billy Martin went out to the mound to limit the damage and brought in Sparky Lyle from the bullpen. He got the next two men to ground out, but some major damage had been done, and New York now had to score four runs in the bottom of the ninth just to force extra innings. Five runs would force a game five and ruin Cincinnati's dreams of a sweep. Will McEnany went back to work. The Yankees sent up pinch hitter Otto Velez to try to get something started, but he would strike out swinging. Mickey Revers then lined out, and the Reds were one out away from a World Series sweep. The Yanks' final hope, Roy White. He flew out to the left fielder, ending the ball game and ending the series. The Reds had won 6-2 in all four games of this 1976 World Series. The MVP of the series was Johnny Bench, maybe the greatest catcher in baseball history. The Yankees, however, would appear in the next two World Series, winning both of them, and would also return to the Fall Classic in 1981, losing to the Dodgers. The Reds, on the other hand, were hit hard by the recent advent of free agency and lost many of their key players. Pete Rose would wind up in Philadelphia, where he'd help them win the 1980 World Series. Joe Morgan, Ken Griffey, Don Gullett, Raleigh Eastwick, and several others also left the team in the succeeding seasons, and the team would lose 100 ball games in 1982, the Big Red Machine having been severely decimated. That'll do it for this one. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this show on whichever podcasting app you can think of. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners and follow me on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day. This is Joey Martin speaking for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.